Hello and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies we haven't seen yet. My name is Trent, I'll be your host today. I'm sitting here with the one and only Betsy. I am one and I am only. Today we're going back to the well of watching a 1980s action movie. Betsy, today we're going to watch Escape from New York. This is going to be another Kurt Russell movie, and this is also another John Carpenter movie. And this is only the second John Carpenter movie we've actually covered on this show, the first one being Big Trouble in Little China, also starring Kurt Russell. Now, neither of us have seen this movie yet. Uh, Betsy, you, I think, being the one that has the least amount of knowledge about this, why don't you tell the people what you think you know about it? This is a movie called Escape from New York. <laughs> Okay. Um, I genuinely don't have a lot of intel about this movie. Most of what I have is from you because you have told me how it relates to other things that I have experienced with you. Yeah. Specifically the fact that the main character in this movie is called Snake. Snake. And they completely ripped that off. When making the Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear, whatever they're all called, those games. Yeah, the main characters in the Metal Gear video game series are called Snake. And it is directly taken from this movie. And not even like in a cute coincidental way. The guy who made the game said, I like this movie. Mm -hmm. My character shall be named the same. And there's like, Kurt Russell's character in this movie is called Snake Plissken. There is a reference to Snake Plissken spelled differently in one of the Metal Gear Solid games. Uh, the uh, It's a long story. I won't get into it here. <laughs> but suffice it to say, I do know a little bit about the movie. Uh, is there anything else you know? I know that he has an eye patch. Yes. And he is in New York and he would like to escape it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But based on my assumptions about my experience when we watched Big Trouble in Little China, I can kind of get a sense about what that movie's going to be. My assumption is they're going to be thematically similar. There's going to be just ridiculous dialogue, yeah. some crazy fight scenes, and some shit that don't make sense. Because Big Trouble in Little China was ridiculous, and I like I don't really remember anything about that movie. Big Trouble that in Little song. China. The song is maybe the best part of that movie. That's it. I hope there's a song in this. If there's not a song in this, I'm going to be really sad. Yeah, so... I mean, I, I guess I'm just going to not say anything here. I, I know a lot more than you do, but again, I haven't seen the movie the, the entire way through. I've seen some clips of it. I know the general sense of what's going on. New it, it is the future. This came out in 1981. This is the future, The Betsy. future trend? The future, Betsy. It's not quite like a post-apocalyptic thing, but New York is not what you think it is. As any good John Carpenter movie would be. Yeah, so... I think we're just going to go right into it. We're going to go and watch Escape from New York, and we'll be right back. returned from new york betsy we just escaped we're here we're in south dakota i don't know why we came here but we're here what did you think of this movie 
You know, I grew up uh, in the 90s and I was there in 1997, but my brain must be getting old because I don't remember it being like this in 1997. You know, by 1997, I think the president at the time, I mean, he saw firsthand what was going on in New York City. So he just went and cleaned it all up. Got it. Got it. Okay. We, we hadn't ever visited New York City until what? When did you go? 2005. Oh, fine. Okay, by then, it was it was just fine. It was much better by then. Yes. Yeah, this is a very cheesy, silly movie, but I was into it. Like, I liked okay. this one a lot better than I liked Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble is a weirder movie for sure. Yeah. I don't know if I liked this one less or more. Right off the top of my head here, I'm going to say I just didn't like it all that much and i think it's because it's been built up in my head so much you've had a lot of time people telling you this movie's amazing it's yeah. the greatest thing ever it's escape from new york it's the original it's john carpenter and yeah there's a lot of his touchstones here but man i i don't know it didn't hit you very hard it didn't and i think it's maybe just the lack of production design is the lack of, like, fit and finish and polish and all that stuff. I think that's the appeal, though, of these John Carpenter movies, is they yeah. are low-budget looking, they're dirty, and kind of slapdash together yeah. to, to a certain degree. And I think that's maybe what it is. I was expecting more production value, and it wasn't there. And I was looking for it, and I just couldn't find it. Meanwhile, I was expecting the cheesy stuff that was in... Big Trouble in Little China. And guess yeah. what? I got it. <laughs> there's, there's stuff in here that is really well done for... If you if you grade on a curve, you know, you say they're doing it right. on a budget. There's right. stuff that's really good. And there's stuff that's just straight up bad, like laughably bad. But that's part of the fun. I think so. And I think, you know, I'm not that much into camp when it comes to, uh, you know, movies in general. It's going to take me a while to really buy into a lot of that stuff. But, you know, the, the more we talk about it here, maybe maybe you're going to sell me on it. I'll but, convince you. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I'll say this. The production design that I, uh, that I was impressed by was all of the, like, the sets. And before we ever sat down to watch this movie, I saw, I think it might have been just a YouTube video or something on Twitter where I think John Carpenter, or it might have even been James Cameron, which we'll get to in a second here, but they were going over the original, like, model set of New York City because they made a scale model of Manhattan for this movie. How large was this scale model? Like, just between you and me, it's probably the size of this area where we're sitting. So, what, 12, 15 feet? Maybe about, like, uh, 10 by 15 and like a couple of feet tall, I assume. If you've seen this video, yeah. were they like standing in it? I'm just trying to get a sense of the scale of this thing. It was pretty big. I don't know if it was that big though. Okay. Ma maybe I'm, I'm overestimating it, but I know it was you very large. You built it up in your head. <laughs> maybe. Uh, it was very, very large and very detailed, which you could see like they were flying cameras through this thing, like seeing where all these model buildings are and like crashing into them and shit. Not only that, but there were also, like, computerized versions of this city, you know, where, where like, 
when there's a helicopter overhead, like you could see like the green wireframe showing on the oh, screen. Oh, it's kind of a rud- rudimentary computer map. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I, I hadn't really thought about the fact that this was 1981 and that was pretty top of the it's line four shit. Four years after Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. And where Star Wars does it really well, this one, it's just like alternating between here's a scale model of the city. Here is a fake computer screen of the city as he's flying in. Yeah. And here's just a straight up, very close up shot of Kurt Russell, quote unquote, in the cockpit. <laughs> but you know what? That shot of him inside of the, uh, I guess, the cockpit of that glider looked really good. It's all the lighting. The green lighting on his face and the backlighting on his magnificent hair. <laughs> <laughs> his quaff. <laughs> yes. You know, there's kind of a through line here because the movie I kept thinking that we've recently done that is like this is Repo Man, where it's totally. that kind of low budget cheesy stuff. And the green light, yes. they used it in that. Yes. And there was a lot of that in here, but there was also a lot of red. So I'm going to go ahead and say this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> we're vibing. We're feeling the spirit. We're a little bit too early for Christmas movies. Shut up. I'm just, I'm going with it. Come with me on this journey. I mean, uh, Harry Dean Stanton has probably played some kind of Santa Claus at some point. And uh, speaking of another connection to Repo Man. I know, I know. (laughs) But yeah, that shot looked really cool because it was lit well. But it's also really corny because he is just as close as he can possibly be so that you cannot see anything to his left or right because he's not in an airplane. No. They don't have the budget for that. I don't know how they they bought the glider. They probably borrowed the glider. Right. <laughs> and then got their few shots taking off and then returned the glider. <laughs> Here's 20 bucks. Let me let me shoot shoot it with a camera and then you can have it back. And then everything else was a fake glider cuz they have to push it off of the building. And then when they push it off, it's very fake. <laughs> and as long as we're talking about that, I mean, some of the quote-unquote special effects shots are terrible by today's standards because you could almost see the wires or the string hanging from these these things that are flying through the air. Or they're just completely, like, weird green screen, blue screen. I don't know. Not like, even that. It was weirdly done. I mean, down to, like, the glider, like, going off of the uh, the, the building some of the helicopter like the, there's a helicopter early early on in the movie where it's still kind of establishing everything like you could basically see that thing kind of hopping up and down like somebody has it on a screen <laughs> it's just like a child in their hands yeah. in the shot do 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 i'm a helicopter <laughs> But for a movie like this, I get it. I know it's going to be a low-budget thing. I know this is kind of his style. And I haven't seen a lot of his movies, clearly. Um, I think, what was was his first movie? Was it Halloween? I think Halloween was the one that really put Maybe him the, on the, the map. Maybe the first feature film. Because yeah. I looked through his, his filmography, and he did a bunch of shorts in the 70s and the 80s. And this was 81, so he was getting steady work. But... I would suspect that this is maybe his like big big breakout hit because Halloween is a it was a horror movie. Maybe not a lot of people want to see that, but I think this plenty of action- people saw Halloween. Okay, I think that one was a bigger hit than you're giving it credit for. But this but we being ha- a- we haven't seen it, so I we can't haven't speak seen to Halloween. That. Well, speaking of Halloween, I just wanted to, to mention a little Easter egg here. I had read before we sat down here that there's a there's like a computerized voiceover at the beginning part of the movie where Pliskin is brought into, I guess, the processing center for the prison. 
the voiceover is done by Jamie Lee Curtis. An uncredited, uncredited very young, yeah. but post-Halloween. That's right. So, you know, she was a star now, but she had time for John Carpenter. Of course. She still has time for John Carpenter. 100%. 40 years later, she still has time for John Carpenter. She just won her fucking Oscar for a non-John Carpenter movie. But she's still up there saying, you know what? I don't care if I'm a Nepo baby. I did my work. I made fucking Halloween for your ass. Many, many years ago. Yeah. And and like last year or this year, she keeps making she Halloween. She keeps making Halloween movies because they keep on making money. People love those movies. It's the last one. Halloween, the last one. No. No, we, really, we no, mean really, it. No, really. This time it's the last <laughs> one. The really, really final last one. Version two. Point oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, John Carpenter, he did Halloween. This is still early on. He clearly did not have the clout to get like really, really high production value, but he had enough clout to get this movie made. Yeah. And it has somehow survived. Like, I don't yeah. really know people who watch this movie. I know the second we post this episode, the people who do love this movie are going to come out yeah, of the woodwork. Yeah, totally. Because that happens every time we post one of these weird random episodes that we feel is weird and random. But yeah, it's like super cheesy, super weird. Well, and you can also tell like where they were cutting corners here. Because not only do you not have like a whole lot of like, you know, ex big explosions and fire and all this other stuff that you expect to come out of an action movie. But John Carpenter did his own music. He did his own score for this movie. You know, I assume that means he also did the Halloween score, which is really, yeah. really iconic. It's, it's also, there's some some music in here that is very similar Reminiscent to the Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of electronic music. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, there's some really good 80s synth happening in this movie. It is fantastic. This soundtrack slaps. This kicks ass. Yeah. There was genuinely, at the beginning, I'm like, Okay, it's kind of cool. But then when we meet the Duke and it turns into this like fucking cowbell, like <laughs> 70s, like yeah. really. I was like, yes, I am goes fucking along with fucking here. Isaac Hayes. I am here for this wacky <laughs> soundtrack. Maybe that's what it is. Why I really bought into this more so than you did was the music was taking me there. And it, it did for me too early on. Like the opening credits are three minutes long and there is this really great 80s synth track happening the entire way through and it just it propelled me through it because good god were those really long it's a slow start i remember that big trouble in little china also had kind of a slow start but once it goes it goes yeah and in this one they give you a little bit of background as to what's happening here so you didn't know that this was going to be a prison camp for I, lack of a better word i did not know this was a prison break movie yes i i did know that i knew that the president was going to be involved i knew that pliskin was actually brought into this place in order to get the president out no i was completely unaware that that was the plot of this movie. Yes. I just figured, you know, for some reason they have to get out of New York. And by the way, because we mentioned it in the intro, the video game that we mentioned, the Metal Gear Solid 2, is actually the one where uh, the, the main snake guy, he goes by the moniker of Snake Plissken, where the other character that you actually play gets sent in to save the president from terrorists. 
Sorry, there's a Snake Plissken. He plays Snake Plissken? So Snake is actually going by the moniker of Snake oh. Plissken. Oh, sorry, not, not Snake Plissken. Excuse me. Iroquois Plissken. Oh. But Snake <laughs> goes by Plissken. He uses the name. And Raiden, the character that you play as, is sent in to save the president. Oh, Lord Almighty. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get into the lore of Metal Gear Solid. But we will need to revisit that conversation here because... There's a lot to There's talk about There's a lot there. to unpack. But the movie starts talking about in 1988. So we're already seven years in the future. Jamie Lee Curtis is on the, the, the narration telling us that crime has risen by 400%. That's a lot of percent. Thank you, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> for that. And um, they decide that they're going to turn Manhattan into a maximum security prison camp for everybody that they deem undesirable. They're just going to drop them in there and they're not going to give them any food or any water or anything else. You guys get to, to fend for yourself and create your own communities. Strictly speaking, this is a minimum security prison. It's just that they have put up walls around yeah. all of the exits. Yeah. There's no getting out. There's no guards inside no. of the prison. It's all on the outside. They're just preventing you from escaping. Yeah, they don't give a shit what happens on the island of Manhattan. No. But I have a question about this. Why Manhattan? Is it just because it's an island? It's because you're it's an gonna island. Take, you're going to take one of the greatest cities in the world by, this is from the people who lived there. What happened to all those people? Like, they fucking love that city. You think those people are leaving New York? John Carpenter is from New York. But I'm saying, did they evacuate all of them? Or did they just build up a wall around them and say, congratulations, you're also in the prison now? Well, I mean, they don't really get into it here. But, you know, if crime is up by 400% around the entire country, what is it in New York City? Okay, but again, have you met New Yorkers? Those people are not leaving uh, their city. <laughs> in the 80s? Okay, I will give you maybe in the 80s because it was... Not it as cleaned up. It was a rough up. town. It was a rough town. The 70s and the 80s. Okay, I will give you that. But that's my point. If it's that bad and New York City is experiencing a 4,000% crime increase, you're okay with leaving. The New Yorkers will only leave under those circumstances. <laughs> yes. So, uh, I guess let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Good God, is there a lot of shots of the World Trade Center and... This, and you mentioned this while we were watching it, thank God that this is actually taking place during 1997 and not past 2001. Yeah, they start in 88, kind of explaining this is where yeah. we set it up as a prison. Right. And then the events of this movie are 1997 or now. Right. I like that they emphasize it's both things. Present day. Present 1997. Day. But yeah, there's a lot of shots of planes going around the World Trade Center and a plane crashes flying, into New York. Flying, yeah, flying ever so closely to that. A plane actually crashes in New York. He lands on top of Pliskin it. Pliskin lands on top of it, and you can see the iconic, you know, structure of the building itself that they made in on a set. It's it's upsetting, and it will, it will always never not be, be. It will always be upsetting to people who actually lived through that, let alone people who actually lived in New York at the time. Yeah, it luckily doesn't come up a whole lot. This movie definitely has the most of those references and like imagery that I've seen since the events. That is at least summoning those memories for you. Totally. But I want to get beyond that. We've mentioned it. It's it's uh, the elephant is out of the room. We're fine now. 
But we get introduced to Snake Plissken. He's brought into this processing center where there's more of the uh, dialogue from Jamie Lee Curtis basically welcoming you to this prison island, whatever you want to call it. And they say, oh, by the way, if you don't want to go through this and you want us to kill you now and cremate your body, just let somebody know and we'll take care of that before you even get in here. Just wave down your waiter. <laughs> He'll take care of it for you. Press your call button. Press your call button at your seat and we'll, we'll come and assist you. Yeah, this scene was really weird because we get him walking in. Snake is on the screen and then it just fades to black. It just fades out I and thought, then we get a different scene I thought elsewhere. something was missing in the movie and yeah. nope. Nope, it's just that way. Some of the editing in this movie is very questionable. And then we get the plot because some hijackers have taken over the Air uh, Force One. Mm, yep, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the president has an escape pod. And so his little pod is somewhere on the island and they have to go get him. Yeah, but they never, like the hijackers, do not explain that they're going to be crashing the plane into New York City. They're not. At any point. They're not per se. I think it's just... They're taking over, and when he escapes, they just crash. I don't know. It's a little unclear why it's they very crash. very unclear. Like, I figured, okay, they've lost control of the situation. The plane is out of their hands. The president is going to go to his escape pod, and the hijackers can just keep on flying the plane and announce their stupid propaganda. But, yeah, there's no indication here as to why the, the actual plane crashes. We know that the escape pl- uh, pod is going to crash there because that's kind of the entire plot of the movie. That's the whole point. Yeah, so I just don't understand why they needed to crash the plane. And as long as we're talking about uh, the plane here, when Pliskin is brought in to the actual area and there's this big set with a whole bunch of stuff on fire and you can see the, the, the plane, the fuselage, everything else is kind of in the background on fire, that plane is not nearly big enough. Shut Air up, Force, Shut Air up, Trent. Air Force One is fucking gigantic. Well, they also refer to it as a small jet. Like, they literally yeah. say, a, a small jet has crashed on the island. We need your help retrieving right. the survivors. Right. Hmm. But that really bothered me because I know how big that plane is. And that thing is like a very small, like, private jet. That's such a nitpicky thing because this budget. I don't They care. don't have the budget for a full-size Air Force <laughs> One. They barely had a budget for his escape pod. That was the silliest little egg. <laughs> little red, like, a little red egg that it, he goes flying through like the air. It looked like something that a kid would go into at, like, a play place. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, shove you down a tube. Right. It's like it's a slide. But yeah, they, this is the situation. They need somebody to go in, and when they can't do it themselves because it's too dangerous, right? they get Pliskin because he happens to be there at the time they need him. Yeah, the, he just happens to be this fresh meat that is about to be let loose into the prison. They know his background. They know that he's got a military background. And they know that he knows how to get into very secure places because the reason why he was brought in here is because he robbed the Federal Reserve Bank. I didn't even catch that that's why he was yeah, in there. Yeah, that's what that's what he did. My understanding, just the little information we get, is that America sucks right now. Yeah. Crime is up. Uh-huh. There's terrorist groups. The the Russians and the Chinese apparently are, like, taking over or something. Betsy, I thought we weren't talking about politics on this show. I'm just telling <laughs> you what they're telling me. So yeah. I guess he needed to rob the Federal Reserve because America is terrible. 
I don't really know because they also don't really get into what's on that tape because I think what's happening here, the president is on his way to this conference. Maybe like there's a, a UN thing. Maybe the UN building was moved out of Manhattan. I don't think under these circumstances, the UN would be in session in their main location uh, any longer. Well, you know. It seems, seems tricky. But anyway, there's some kind of international meeting where he's going to make a big speech and there's a tape that he has that, that has some kind of recording on it. I didn't get what they were saying. Did you? No, I have no, no idea. Like The details to, yeah. in this movie are incredibly vague. Or if they were telling me exactly what I need to know, it wasn't done in a way that I processed it. Yeah. Because I have no idea why he was going to this conference, why it's important, why there is a timer. We yeah, have 23 hours. You have 23 hours. What is this timer thing when it comes to the president? I, I do not understand that. Is it because the Russians and the Chinese are going to leave if he doesn't show up? Also, this is indeed even consistent because he said you have 23 hours but then he told him you have 22 hours because right. that's when they leave but he doesn't get to the wall until the clock is at zero uh -huh. meaning he's late so I'm like, I don't understand the, the, <laughs> the no. reasoning. So there's a lot of things in this movie that don't make any sense. No, when when you put a number on something, a detail like that, it, you kind of have to nail that. God, they were showing it aggressively through this movie too. It's like, I get it. I get it. Yeah, and I, I get, know. I get that it's a plot device and it's you, there's a time limit here. You got you to gotta do it fast. But yeah, they just didn't nail it. Anyway, but before Pliskin even gets set off into the wild, as it were, he gets to meet this Mr. Scientist man who is going to lay out a whole bunch of gadgets and tools and weapons and they whatever else. James Bond his ass. I mean, they kind of do the whole Metal Gear Solid thing where you are given a whole bunch of ordnance and stuff to send you out within the field. How much can you carry? All these fucking gadgets that you get in these other games. I can totally tell where Kojima took, took a whole lot of inspiration from this movie, not just the name. Down to the fact that, hey, he's he's put into this glider and there's a lot of different like infiltration methods that you that you use to get into the play areas, I guess. But anyway, again, I don't want to talk about Metal Gear because there's a much, much better movie that, that uh, is a much better Metal Gear solid movie than this movie is. And that movie is No Time to Die, the last James Bond movie that has come out. True, but they don't have an eye patch wearing gravel voiced no. dude going, I don't know what's going on around here, but I'm just going to do what I got to do. Yeah. Like that genuinely, they just said, okay, so David Hayter, the guy who voices mm -hmm. Snake, mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. Do what Kurt Russell is do doing. Do Kurt Russell doing Clint Eastwood. As Snake. As Snake. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of different layers to all that. And again, I don't want to talk about that because our listeners like movies and not video games. So I want to move on. Just Google it if you want to know. Yeah. There's a million and one YouTube videos about Metal Gear. Anyway, so he gets all of his gear and he gets the, the rundown of what needs to happen here. He gets injected on both sides of his neck with tiny explosives. And this is the weirdest thing, I think, in this entire movie, because they take pains to explain what's going to happen here. If he does not make it out in time, he's injected with these tiny, tiny explosives into his arteries. And if he doesn't get out in time, there is a very small explosion that happens inside of his veins 
his veins will pop, which means that all of his blood will stop pumping to his brain and he will very much die. That's usually what happens if there's an explosion inside of you. Well, you know. It's an incentive, Trent, to keep him on course, to get him to do the thing he needs to do. Yeah. Which is why they don't bother to mention it until after he allows them to inject him. Of course. And the only way to disarm said weapon, said uh, explosives, is by x-rays. Is that what that was? Yes. He just kind of says, we just got to like zap you. And he has like a portable x-ray on the back of a truck at the end of the movie. Of course, don't you? The timer again, not consistent. Because down at the bottom, before he's about to leave, it's like at a minute and a half. And then he fucks around with the Duke for a while before (laughs) he finally gets lifted up. And then they zap him. Yeah. And he's fine. I don't like when movies have such a very, like, it's a low timer if it's less than five minutes. And I can literally hit a stopwatch sitting on the couch and time it and it doesn't match up. Come on. Have I mentioned the movie Nick of Time to you before? Probably in, not on this podcast, though. In college, my friend and I rented this Johnny Depp movie because, you know, in 2005, it was still okay uh, to be really, really into Johnny Depp. Anyway, we watched this movie. It's from the 90s, and it's supposed to take place, quote, in real time. Yeah. And she and I were literally, like, sitting there with, like, our phones and stopwatches, like, trying mm-hmm. to keep up with it. And we were like, this this movie is 10 minutes slow. Yeah, this it, movie is 12 minutes fast. If you literally have a clock in your movie and you make a big deal out of it, you better, you better make it right. Someday we'll have to watch 24, just in one sitting. No. Oh, back to back. No. <laughs> I want to see if it's really 24 hours. I don't believe you. <laughs> But anyway, he gets injected with this stuff. He gets a bunch of weapons and gadgets and whatever else to track down the president. He gets glided in, lands on top of the World Trade Center, has to take the elevator down to the 50th floor, but then he has to take the stairs the rest of the way. I have no idea why that is the case. Why can't you take it all the way down? Again, they don't explain. Does it just not work past the 50th floor? I don't know. They don't explain it. They do not explain that It's at just all. funnier to make him take the stairs, I guess. Sure. But it gets down to the wreckage area. He's kind of walking around and there's a whole bunch of different freaks kind of running around, casting shadows on the wall. And you're just kind of establishing what things are like down on the ground. Because there's a whole underground sewer people. Yeah. The crazies, as they call them. Oh, those are the crazies. The crazies. I'm so sorry. I thought everyone here was crazy. Not the spiky-haired guy called Romero who just, like, laughs maniacally and, right. you know, just disappears into how the have, night. How have we never seen that as a Halloween costume? We don't go to a lot of Halloween parties. You're right. Not with these kind of people. But anyway, Betsy, Snake comes across, um, let's just call it a party. Trent, that's not a party. That's a Broadway show. That's a cabaret. I'm just, listen, if you are going to drop thousands upon thousands of prisoners in the city of theater in the United States, (laughs) Uh you're telling me that not one of them is going to utilize these beautiful theaters and put on a show? I mean, they all, I'm sure they got the costumes there already. That was an original musical performed by the residents (laughs) of that city. And they had live band. What's not to they had a live band and an audience. The People ca- came. The cabbie came from God knows where right. to see that show. So since we touched on this, the cabbie is played by Ernest Borgnine. Yes. Academy Award winner <laughs> Ernest Borgnine is just there. Yeah. He's in a few scenes. 
In this weird little movie, it's always funny to me when people get to this point in their career after being very, very famous. He says at one point in this movie that he has been driving the same route for 30 years. The same cab for 30 years. Trent, this is a man who did not leave New York when they turned it into a prison. Right. It hasn't been a prison for but nine years. Nine years. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. The New Yorkers refuse to leave. <laughs> he just keeps his cab I'm and keeps running fares I'm in the city. I'm not saying that everybody left. <laughs> the, <laughs> the diehards, I'm sure, still keep their rent-controlled apartments. I I'm get that. <laughs> <laughs> who's, col who's collecting their rent? Who's the landlord, the slumlord in this place? I'm sure it's the Duke. Yeah, that makes sense. He just took over for all the other slumlords. He had to. Someone had to. <laughs> yes. And everybody who's still there, they're holding on to their apartments for just the occasion when everybody starts to come back and they can just say to the landlords, nope, you cannot raise my rent. I've been here the entire time, goddammit. <laughs> well, and they need that apartment because they have eight shows a week to perform and they want to live close by. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Pliskin goes in there. He does not comment. He does not regard what is going on with any kind of comment whatsoever. It's just happening. He has no range of emotions in this movie. He no. is just kind of grumbly. Like the, the woman in the restaurant when he hides from the sewer people. Right. She says, you're a cop. And he just goes, I'm an asshole. <laughs> 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 that's there's, there's his no whole depth, mood there's no depth to this character no. whatsoever it, there's not even really like quippy lines i expected there to be more of that from him and it just isn't there that was kind of the most when he said i'm an asshole sure. like, and i don't even think he was being quippy it's just really funny it's, it is also true it's also true <laughs> But yeah, all he's doing here is using his little gadgets to try to find the president and like and the different um, monitoring devices that presidents get like injected with. Like that's a true thing. They microchip the president yes. in case they get loose yeah. and they're picked up by the local humane society. <laughs> I mean, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got that and he's also got like a wristwatch vital right. sign tracker. Right. Which is weird. Like a, the president would not be wearing that. I don't even know what the hell that is. It's a Fitbit. It's a 1981 Fitbit for them to be able to track. Betsy. Come on. Okay, I'm so sorry. 1997 Fitbit to track his vital signs. Yeah. That's exactly what it the is. The president's got to get his steps in. He does. And he is succeeding when he's on the run. But otherwise, he's kind of chained up half of this movie. But yeah, he finds the guy wearing it, but it's not him. It's like a crazy homeless person. Yeah, and at that point, like, his radio gets broken and he, he's getting chased by these crazies after this random woman just shows up out of nowhere. She falls down a pit and gets eaten up by all these crazies. And that's the end of that, I guess. Yeah, it's just that series of vignettes where he keeps running into somebody and they die and he keeps running into somebody and they die and he keeps running into somebody and guess what? Twist! You'll never guess! They die! <laughs> yeah! I mean, we talked about uh, cabbie, Ernest Borgnine. He meets him on the side of the road and he just pulls up in his cabbie saying, hey, you want a ride? And he just nonchalantly lights up a Molotov cocktail, throws it at the crazies and dri drives off. It's the life you gotta live. Don't all cabbies have a Molotov cocktail in the front seat? I mean, in New York, yes. They might. <laughs> I've never actually been in a cab in New York. I think, I believe you have, haven't you? 
I don't know if I was in New York, but I was in Chicago, and that was pretty intense. So I can imagine the intensity of a New York cab ride. Yeah, we've only ever taken the subway. When, when You've gone to New York a few times. I've only been there once. I took a lift the last time I was there, so I wasn't actually in okay. a, not a Not a New York City cab. Not a cab, no. Fair enough. But Pliskin, uh, I guess, pulls a gun on Cabby and says, hey, I'm looking for the president. I know you know where he is. And of course, Cabby is just kind of a weird guy. He's nice. He's a nice Cabby. I don't get it. He just I, loves his job. I guess. He's got the not, best job in the best city in the world. And I'm not saying that, hey, he's a nice like cab driver. I'm saying he's a nice guy in this very, in this hellhole, for lack of a better word. He knows people. They know him. Yeah. It helps him get by. I don't understand that. But he says you got to go and meet this guy who can get you in touch with Duke. And Duke is just the guy. And of course, the thing that really bothered me here is... Okay, how are there not more warlords in this entire, th- in all of Manhattan? I guess the Duke is very effective at his job. I guess. I mean, people, when he goes to the the boxing ring, when he shows up, everybody, there's a, there's a lot of quiet moments in this movie. Did you notice that? When there is score, it's very much a lot of score, and then the rest of the movie is nothing. And it's not even, like, the score dropping out. It is all, like, the din of people is just gone. There's no background noise. There's hundreds and hundreds of people around, and none of them are making any kind of noise. Yeah, that is something that I noticed. It's very hollow. Everybody's just walking, and you hear their footsteps. This should be a city. There are thousands of people around here. Whether you see them or not, there's going to be some kind of noise. I mean, it's the middle of the night. Why don't you all shut up and go to sleep? This is New York. (laughs) (laughs) The city that never sleeps, Betsy. What are you talking about? Somebody is sleeping in this city. I don't know about that. But yeah, I mean, the, the second half of the movie, I would say, is definitely the weakest part, because... It's this cat and mouse game of him trying to find the president. And then he finds the president. Then he gets captured. Then he gets put into a ring with a big boxing boxer man. It's just a bunch of sequences of nonsense. Like, none it of is. it makes any sense. And if you can accept that it just doesn't really make any sense, yeah. it's great fun. He meets Harry Dean Stanton, and there's an oil rig behind him because apparently there's oil in Manhattan. There's oil in Manhattan, and he knows how to process that into gasoline he's the gas yeah. man of, ha- of manhattan yeah and so he's there and he says i know where to go come with me and for some reason terry dean stan also knows this this highway that goes towards the wall and he knows that there's a bunch of like mines and grenades and like other explosives rigged on the on the on the road again it doesn't make sense because he says this guy did it but then they shot him on the other side then how did the information get back to you of where the mines are right so it's just shut up just shut up and enjoy the movie i can't <laughs> you have to let it go trent you have to yeah cuz then they go and meet the duke who has chandeliers on his hood of his car. Yes. And I just would very much like those for Christmas, please. (laughs) Could you just arrange that for me? I don't think they would do well on your car. We could make it work. Maybe we give me a new car. We will better fit. Maybe maybe not the chandeliers, but definitely the disco ball inside of the car. No, the chandeliers complete the look. But in a continuing string of things that don't make sense, like he finds the president and he's still got the briefcase attached to them. At no point did anybody try to get into this briefcase. Right. 
and then he gets shot and he escapes, but then they catch him, and then he escapes, but then they catch him, and then he escapes, and then suddenly they're all back at the World Trade Center, and everybody else has found them. Somehow they know in the city where they went. Right, somehow they know how to get up there. They know that there's a plane up there. They know how it's used. There's already a, a shootout happening with a, a rogue other group of, of people. I think they're all the Dukes guys. I guess. But how they got there and how they knew to look for them there, they don't explain. I have no idea. They just wanted to have a shootout. Yeah, they get all the way up to the top of the building, and they're already at the top fighting them. Yeah. Then they get back down, and there's more of them in the lobby. Yeah, And because, then they just disappear. Right, because they, they just uh, knocked the plane off the side of the building, so that's not an option anymore. So they have to go down this other highway road all the way to the wall. But Harrodine Stanton is the only one who knows where all the booby traps are. But he doesn't even because he gets himself blown up. Sure. None of this makes sense, Trent. No. None of it. Yeah. So And it and, doesn't matter. And of course, on that road, everybody dies. Cabby dies when the when the car gets blown up. Blown in half. Blown in half, they, yeah. They cut that car in half. Did you also notice that inside of the cab was just a couch? It's just a couch. <laughs> I mean, I didn't look that closely, but yeah, that probably was a couch. I mean, you might have called it like a bench seat kind of a thing, but that just looked like a couch to me. You have to find a way to design half a cab on a budget. <laughs> Use the couch. But yes, Cabby dies, and then Herodine Stanton gets blown up, and then Maggie gets out and wants revenge on, I mean, I don't know who. Was it the Duke that, that rigged all this stuff together? Or is she just going to go up because she has nothing left to live for? I think it's that. I think she just decides, well, I'm going to stay here and, you know, sure. avenge his death. I mean, I guess she does work for the Duke because they, what they say, the the Duke gave Maggie to Harry Dean Stanton? Something to that effect. Yeah. But she does seem to care about Harry Dean Stanton. I guess. Sure. Why not? Yeah. She just shoots at him and doesn't, then she gets hit by a car. Doesn't hit him with anything. No. No, she it doesn't gets, take him out. It doesn't gets, stop him. She gets hit by the car. She's dead. Isaac Hayes comes out and chases after Snake. They get all the way to the wall, and they're tossing over a rope to get the president back up. President gets back up. Snake starts to get up. There's a big shootout. There's a big fight, and basically end of the movie. <laughs> Everything know? is pretty anticlimactic. That's the thing that I think is also bothering you. Yeah. Where it's not... A huge buildup, but there is, like, we're building a little bit of tension. Oh, he's a prisoner now. And then he's not a prisoner anymore. Right. It's just very sudden. He just figures it out. And the president is going to get away. And then the president is the one who takes out the Duke. I did like that part. <laughs> like, he's just up there screaming, you're the Duke, you're the Duke. And he just levels him with the machine gun. Yeah, which, I, again, I did like that scene of him uh, yelling down at them and shooting shooting this gun, which I, I really like his gun. It, the magic gun that never runs out of ammunition. Never run, runs out of bullets. Uh, it, it's, it's got this really great sound. It, it fires really quickly. I, I just like that gun. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's kind of the end of the movie. There's not really a big resolution here. There's not, I mean, it's, it's Pliskin and the other guy, the, the head of security, head of the police or whatever. They're talking back and forth. Oh, are you going to kill me now? No, I'm tired. <laughs> what? I want to give you a job. No, thanks. The name's Pliskin. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he kept on saying, my name is Snake. If you couldn't tell, as evidenced 
by the tattoo on his by stomach. The giant, terrible tattoo on his gut. That looked like it was hand drawn. With a sharpie. With a sharpie. <laughs> which it probably was, let's be real. Yeah. But all right. Um did you have anything else to talk about here? I only have a, have a few other things. So as I said, nobody goes after the briefcase on the president until after Snake has tried to break him out and he gets stopped. And then the Duke is shooting Snake's gun at the president. Target practice. And he manages to hit the briefcase. It pops open. There's some papers and a tape inside, like a literal audio cassette tape, Mm because that's what you would have had in those days. We don't know what's on it because... We're, again, very unclear about why they need the tape, where they're trying to get the tape, what the purpose of the tape is. Why is tape? We find out that crazy guy Romero has it. Yep. And he trades the cabbie for his hat. Right. So he gets a hat for a tape. (laughs) Yep. It's a bartering system in this world. And he doesn't know what's on the tape. He doesn't even try to listen to the tape. No. Because when we find him in his cab, he's listening to, like, smooth jazz. Right. (laughs) At the end of the movie, because the president couldn't make the conference in person, he decides to play the tape on the air. And Snake has swapped the tapes. And so the president ends up playing smooth jazz. And we see Snake ripping the tape apart as he walks away. As you do. We are led to believe this entire movie that this is really important. This tape is going to change the future of the country. And then Snake talks to the president and basically says, do you have anything to say about this whole situation? And he's just like, um, thanks, question mark. You know, if people died. Oh, right. well. Right. So is it this thing where snake just literally cares more about the fact he is an asshole and the president is about to screw him over well he's like fuck the country because that's kind of the vibe i'm getting it definitely is fuck the country fuck the world but remember the conversation that he and the dude in the office had at the beginning of the movie when he's trying to convince him hey do this for the country and blah 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 the implication in this conversation is that pliskin does not care anything about this country he stole money from the federal reserve which is basically from the american people which is where all this tax revenue is coming from and everything like that he just doesn't care so my my hang up here is why did he even ask the president what he thought about all like all of what he saw all the killing and all the 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 terrible nature of manhattan the president didn't care so why should he maybe it's just he was testing him to see if he's gonna give him the real tape maybe Either way, he doesn't do it, and he just rides off off into the sunset and fuck America, I guess. Here's my question. There's a sequel to this movie that came out many, many years after the fact. In the 90s. Yeah. Like like an obscene amount of time later. 17 years later, they came out with a sequel. What the hell is that about? Do they turn Los Angeles into a prison? Sure. I mean, is is crime up by 5,000% by then? How much worse could the country possibly be? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we might have to watch that one eventually. Eh, we'll see. Eventually. We'll see. Uh, did you have any other thoughts? Yes, there is a running gag throughout the movie where anytime Snake meets a new person, they all know who he is. Yeah. They go, oh, you're Snake. I thought you were dead. Yeah, he has a reputation. People know about him, but everybody seems to think that Snake died. Somehow, this prison population 
has a lot of access to the news of the outside world. And I'm just curious how they're getting that. I mean, it's bad news. It's not accurate news. They're getting some kind of news, like maybe he was involved in something. But in this case, he got caught. He didn't die. Is it just the hot goss every time new prisoners come in? Somebody somewhere heard a guy who knew a thing. Like everybody in this movie thought that he died. And by the way, everybody who said that to him also died. By the end of the movie. By the end of the movie. They were all dead. Everybody who said that to him died. Yeah. It was just a funny gag. Here's a question. Does Snake actually kill anybody? I can't remember. I know he punches a lot of guys. He does shoot his gun sometimes, but does he actually kill anybody? He kills the wrestler guy with the with the nail bat. Then, he, yes, he kills at least him. Yeah. So I would say yes. His confirmed kill count, though, I couldn't tell you. And, and I'm sure a lot of other people die. Huh. <laughs> Never really thought about that. This is a giant action movie, at least in my head it is, and the main character doesn't kill anybody. Really? He kicks a bunch of people's asses. I don't know if they're dead or not. Like, down yeah. in the the underground of that building below the theater, mm-hmm. he kicks a bunch of people there. He fights off a bunch of guards. But apart from the wrestler who he bats in the head with a nail... Yeah. Who is also trying to kill him. Pro- so it's a self-defense. Proto, a proto-Lucille. <laughs> yeah, I guess. For all you Walking Dead fans. Yeah. All right, I only had a couple other things here to mention. Uh, I already talked about uh, the disturbing uh, plane approaching New York City imagery. Uh, there are a lot of lens flares, like J.J. Abrams' eat your heart out kind of uh, kind of situation. Which, by the way, there's a story here about J.J. Abrams. I read in the IMDb trivia that the scene where Maggie gets run over by the car. So everybody sees that. There's like a dummy there that gets hit by the car and it goes off screen. Well, in a screening of this movie, very early on, there's a screening with like 15 people. And in the crowd is a very young J.J. Abrams. He's like 15 years old. He goes up to John Carpenter afterwards and he says to him, I don't actually think that Maggie is dead. We don't actually see her die. So taking that into consideration... John Carpenter and the actress who played Maggie, which they were married, by the way. At the time. These two these two people were married. They created the scene of her all bloodied up and underneath the car in his garage. Like, it's their car that she is underneath and all bloodied up by. Just to make an establishing shot that right. she is, in fact, dead. Just to confirm that, yes, she, she is dead. Yeah, so J.J. Abrams had a connection to John Carpenter. Right. And so does... James Cameron. Like I said in the very beginning of this podcast, James Cameron was a production designer on this movie. He made a lot of like the matte paintings of the city in the background. He's an artist. I think people forget this. Yeah. But if you know one thing about Titanic, like a little Easter egg, it's the fact that he is the one drawing the Kate Winslet drawing. Yeah. Those are his hands. Absolutely. He is an absolute artist. He just also happens to make movies. (laughs) And there's also nods to other filmmakers in this. I've said the name Romero twice. It is a a... nod to George Romero. And there's another guy here. I don't know who, which character it was, but somebody is credited as being Cronenberg, which again, these two guys all came up around the same time. They all kind of make the same kinds of movies. It's great when directors give each other nods. They're B-movie horror guys who all love each other. And J.J. Abrams. (laughs) We haven't done an Abrams movie yet, have we? 
I don't think we have, but there's also not a lot that would qualify. Yeah. Because we've seen them all. We've seen the the two Star Wars movies that he directed. We saw the first couple of Star Trek movies that he made. And then apart from that, there's only like two there's other ones. There's a few other ones um, that he actually directed, like Super 8 and I think he did Cloverfield, yeah, the think, first Cloverfield. I think he just kind of got into the producing game and yeah. he doesn't really have to direct much I anymore. I think you're right. He's he's kind of like the Bruckheimer of uh, of that kind of thing. He does a little of everything. He used to be a writer. Yeah, he, he touches a lot of stuff. Yep, he was a writer, then he was a director, now he's a producer. He can do what he feels like when he feels like it. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's where I'm going to end this one. I, hmm... I might have to revisit this one by myself one day just to kind of maybe get a vibe out of it. I I just, I really wasn't feeling it. It wasn't bad. I had a good time, but I felt like I was kind of forcing myself to have a good time. Does that make sense? I guess so. I was having a good time. I thought this was goofy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's going to be the end of the show. <laughs> if you'd like to email us about any anything John Carpenter related, never seen it pod at gmail.com. Should we watch Escape from L.A.? Is that any better than this one? Because if it is, we might have to accelerate this whole process. Halloween? Isn't, didn't he do The Thing? I think he did The Thing, yep. The Thing? Maybe we should do that one? Maybe. He did a lot of movies with Kurt Russell. He did, and there's just a lot of Carpenter movies in general, and there's a lot of Carpenter fans that are are just diehard. So anyway, let us know what you think about his movies, this movie, anything anything under the sun. Email us again, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We received one such email from our superfan, Stephanie, talking about one of our Never Scream It movies, The Craft. Once again, we're doing these out of order, sorry. Uh-huh. Sometimes we have to catch up on some of our emails, and we apologize it's taken so long, but here you go. She says, LOL, this movie is ridiculous. I watched this on TV once when I was in high school, and then maybe once or twice since then. It is super fun and has influenced so many movies. Stephanie, sometimes I'm very surprised at your memory. Like, if I watched something in high school maybe once or twice, I'm never going to remember that. You barely remember movies we covered on this podcast. Like, there is recorded evidence There's... that you watched it. <laughs> and I pay very close attention to the movies when we watch them. And then you move on completely. Because we have to watch so many of them. Anyway... She says, I love that you root for the witches in the beginning, but in the end you realize that they cannot handle the power and must be stopped. Teenage girls are petty and do not have the maturity to stop before it goes too far. Nancy is a nut job and super killed that dude. <laughs> he sucked, but she still shouldn't have killed him. <laughs> I said, she only kind of killed him. She super killed that guy. He's definitely dead. He's super dead and she super <laughs> killed him. Stephanie's on my side. <laughs> no, she's on my side about the teenage girls needing to be stopped. You wanted yes, to root for them. I wanted to root for them, but they wouldn't let me. Anyway, she says, All of the bullies in this movie genuinely suck and are horrible. I like that this movie shows that even though that they suck, they're still people and the punishments do not fit the crime. That's what I said. That is fair. Yeah. I love the 90s supernatural stuff. I'm a huge Buffy fan, and I also watched a good amount of Charmed. Uh, the wig is bad, and the music is wonderful. 
I'm going to write a book called The Wig is Bad and the Music is Wonderful. <laughs> and that's just going to be a chronicle of all of these movies that I have problems with the wigs. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that Betsy the notices. The one thing I always notice. <laughs> and she's on your side on one more thing. Return to Oz is a horrifying nightmare. <laughs> I did not watch this until college, and it legit gave me nightmares. It is so disturbing. See, it scared the grown-ass woman. This is what I'm telling you. It's not something we're just going to throw on one afternoon. Well, we might have to throw it on for Never Scream It in 2024. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, again, we're doing this out of order. Stephanie's giving us an update on the stuff that she watched between October 11th and October 14th. Again, we're very out of date. Uh, she watched The Old Ways the original Hocus Pocus, The Conference, and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Again, I've, I've at, heard of all of those except for the old ways. At, at the Conference, I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is. Uh, but Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, I've heard of. Obviously, Hocus Pocus is fantastic. What's that? I've never heard of I it. Mean, the Conference sounds like something that you do on a work trip. I mean... <laughs> She finishes, the three, besides Hocus Pocus, were all new to us. The Old Ways was really good. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was decent. And the conference kind of sucked. The love you guys from Superfan Stephanie. Conferences can be fun, but most yeah. of them can suck. You've gone to a lot more of them than I have. Yeah, you haven't really had to do that for work. Not for a long time. I went to one at my old job, and I went to another one with my current job, but it was, it was, it was, weird i suspect this movie is not about that kind of a conference though maybe it's just a really haunted conference uh, Ooh, spooky conference <laughs> <laughs> all right that is going to be the end of the email section for now uh again if you would like to reach out to us the email address is never seen at pod at gmail.com you don't have to email us if you don't want to you can reach out to us and send us messages on all the social media platforms that we are currently on you can find all the links to those in the podcast description and of course, just a favor, we always ask you, if you haven't already done so, please go into your podcast app of choice, go to our page and rate us five stars. It helps put us in front of more people. But that is the end of Escape from New York for now. We are fast approaching the end of Thanksgiving. It's already the end of the month, Betsy. It's it's really strange. This don't, month is going by so fast. Don't care for that. Yeah. We mentioned in the last episode, the next Thanksgiving is going to be Captain Phillips. So make sure to come back on Wednesday for that. One more Sunday left in the month. We haven't decided what we're doing for that yet. You're going to have to find out with the rest of us. <laughs> but again, that is the end of Never Seen It. We'll be back on Wednesday with another Thanksgiving. But until then, my name is Trent. My name is Betsy. And we'll catch you then. Bye. Snap.